listening to another sermon podcast presented by Chelsea Presbyterian Church. Located in Chelsea, Alabama, we value community, fellowship, and love for people from all walks of life. For more information, find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook. Now we're going to start a new series, and some of y'all have been through this before, some of you have not, on the core, on some of our core values of our church. I preached on these core values before, but they're so important to our church. And this is a good time before we enter into our fall series on the names of God. And you'll be hearing more about that later. But they're, they're so important that we need to revisit them as often as we can, especially the first one. So let's look at our, our first value today by looking at a few of these passages. We're going to talk about core value number one, the gospel. All right, let's look at our verses for the day. If you have your Bibles, you may be turning around a little bit, but uh, as always, it's printed in the um, order of worship. we got several verses here. I'm going to actually just read the first verse, the first passage, and we'll hit the other ones later. John 3.16, very familiar passage. You've seen it, football games. You've seen it uh, you know, posted up. Uh, on in the bleachers, or you've seen people write it in their eyes, or you've seen people wear put it over their mechanic shop. But it's very, very uh, familiar verse here. John three sixteen says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved." through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Probably got to uh, take these passages today. Some of these things are going to be familiar to us, just like that passage. It's something we've heard and we've read before. But God, let us know this is just not a one-time acknowledgement, but something we've got to work into our hearts and preach on a daily basis to ourselves. And it's the only thing that's going to help us with change. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Uh, you've heard the term before, America has always been called the great melting pot, meaning we have people from various parts of the world uh, that make up different citizenships in our country. Uh, and with all these various nationalities and, and all this diverse background comes different views of life in the world and even of religion. For example, if you were standing on uh, a busy street corner, let's say, in New York City, and you ask the question, what does it take to go to heaven? I would say you would get a multitude of answers. The sad thing is, even if you go to churches, some churches today, you might get different answers if you ask the same question. Most of the answers that people give in the world, and even in a lot of churches today, most of the time when you talk to people about what does it take to get to heaven, most of the people, it has something to do with the idea of working hard to be a better person trying to be a better person, which is the opposite of what our church teaches and the opposite of what Jesus teaches and what the Bible teaches. See, the Bible is clear on matters. Uh, the, what matters the most in relation to our being reconciled with God and connected with God or, or finding favor with God. The scriptures are very clear on what it takes to be in right standing in a right relationship with God. And it's what we call the good news that some people use the word, the gospel. Anytime you hear the word gospel, it's good news. Think of it as one and the same. 
Think of it this way. If someone's going to ask you, what's the most important part of Christianity? What is, what is the good news that Christianity proclaims? Or, or what is the greatest good that the church has to offer the world? Would you be able to answer that? Uh, would it be something along the lines of, well, we do good in the community, or there's good deeds and we try to, try to be nice to other people? Think of a specific neighbor, maybe, that doesn't know Jesus. Imagine he asked this. I've heard your friends, and you talk about Chelsea Perez. Can you tell me more about that? What does your church teach? What is the most important thing? What is the main message of your church? Would you be able to answer that? Now, some people may say it's a Bible-driven church or it's a gospel-driven church. But what does that even mean? when you parse it out. And why do churches make such a big deal out of this idea of the gospel? And let's look at the scriptures that we're looking at today and examine the most, the most important out of all the others, by far, core value at our church. Uh, and let's talk about two questions this morning. What is the gospel? And how does the gospel bring about change? So let's look at what is, what is the gospel. Uh, John 3, 16, we'll read it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. Years ago, at one point in our life, uh, Larissa and I, for various reasons, uh, found ourselves trying to find a new church. Uh, and we visited several churches during the time. And I don't know about you, but I hate church shopping of going up to a different church every week trying to figure out is this where we fit in, is this our goal, all of those things. But one Sunday, and we've been getting discouraged by this actually, we just couldn't find a church that quite fit. One Sunday we decided to visit a church that one of my friends pastored. And after the service, on the way home, Larissa was in tears. She was just sobbing. And then she said this, I have been in church all my life, and after the sermon today, I realized I have been getting it all wrong. Although I've, I've heard the churches uh, in part talk about the idea of the gospel and even grace, uh, she said, I never really understood it for now. And after asking her, I said, what does that mean? She said, all my life I've been working hard to please God and win his favor, hoping that if I did all the religious stuff right, that God would love me and it would get me into heaven. She said, that could not be further from the truth. And she went on to say this, when I figured that out, it was freedom. Because I realized a weight had been lifted off of me. This is not me on the treadmill all my life of, of, of trying to do all these things perfectly and right. Or she said, it's not this accounting ledger of I did these things, but then I did these wrongs, and so now i got to make up for it by doing all this. It got her out of that economy, of a, a spiritual economy, and it transformed her thinking forever. And when any of us get this, it's going to do the same for all of us. See, the gospel called the good news is particularly good news about our sin problem. In a nutshell, we can sum it up this way. The gospel is God, that God himself, he came to rescue and restore our lives in and through the work of Jesus on our behalf so that we can live a life of what we talked about, freedom, flourishing, and without constantly living in shame or guilt or thinking about what we do wrong all the time. Why do, why do I, why do you need this rescuing? Well, it's because of sin. It means these are the things that we do wrong on a daily basis. The church in the past has been notorious for talking about people in terms of being sinners. 
in a way that I think they missed the mark. Some of they haven't. Sin is just simply being flawed. Sin is missing the mark, knowing that we, we screw up and we keep screwing up. Sin is any time that we don't perfectly follow God's commandments in word and deed and ultimately in our hearts and our motives. Sin is me living for my fame and glory instead of God's. Sin is me wanting to live life my way instead of living God, life God's way for God and others. See, we've all sinned. We talk about this all the time. We're all messed up. And we really need some good news in our life. We desperately need Jesus to rescue us from the shame and the effects of sin in which the Bible teaches is death and ultimately eternal separation from God. That's the bad news of the good news, but there's more to the story. Look at the next verse that's in that, uh, the passage in our order of worship, the Roman passage. Romans 5 says this, Therefore we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith and grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Look at this, verse 6. For while we were weak, at the right time, God, Christ died for the ungodly. For no one will scarcely die for a righteous person. May some people, may, may for a good person, one might dare to die, but God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, part of this is repenting. Means we change our mind uh, and and about who we are and who we, God really is in our life. And by faith, we believe in what they sang about this morning in life and resurrection that secured us and rescued us in the darkest moments, in the in the, in the most traumatic moments of life. We we have that. And God and Christ has done this. This is the good news that's true for us. In this case, the good news is that we and God are both aware of our sin problem and in through the work of Christ accepts us and changes us by the power. See, Jesus' death completely paid for the penalty of our sins and gave us complete for, uh, favor with God and friendship with Him. Look at our uh, quote in our bulletin, our first one today by Tim Keller. Here's the summary of what I just talked about. The gospel is this that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared to believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared to hope. So this is what we believe. How does it bring about change in our life? We understand this idea that, that when we're honest about ourselves, there's, we, we, we can't do it all right. We can't do it perfect. We're not perfect people. We say that to each other all the time, but really do we believe it? Let's look at the second part. How does gospel bring about change? Look at that last passage that we have for today in Galatians 2. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, which means the things you do are not going to justify you. No matter how good you are in your mind, it's not going to justify you. But how do we do it? Through faith in Jesus Christ. So that we have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because here, by the works of the law, no one can be justified. Which means no one can do it all right. You can't do enough right things to win favor with God and to reconcile where you need to be in relation to who God is. But how does this change us? Does this just leave us in a state where we're like, well, I'm bad, uh, uh, and, and I'm just 
awful sinner, I just stay there. Like, no, no, there's hope in Christ. But if there's hope in Christ, what does that mean on a daily basis? How does that change our life? How do we get out of this treadmill that we said before of thinking that I've got to earn favor with God? See, there's a lot of talk in this day and age about the power of positive thinking. Maybe not in the way that it was done in the 60s or some of the others, but I, I listened to a, a podcast a while back that was talking about the idea of the upside of your dark side. And it talks about the short-sightedness of positive thinking. See, it talked about the idea that positive thinking, and, and you hear this all the time, most people, if they say, well, you just need to think positive thoughts, here's the problem. And, and the world's starting to recognize this in a big way. That they can be uplifting for a moment, they can be inspiring, and even make you feel better about yourself at times. But, and most of the time, you can notice them a mile away because they talk about 10 steps to change your life. You know, I've run from things like that. Here's the reason why. Uh, most of the time they think of these things that will change your life, but it's always temporary. It's not realistic. It doesn't account for how dark we know we are. It doesn't account for how many bad things I've done in my life. It doesn't account for the things that really uh, life throws at you uh, because you can think positively until you get that phone call that one of your best friends died. Now what? You're going to think positively and get through that one? And it's always going to leave you frustrated. And it wasn't even a Christian that talked about this. This was a, a, a psychologist that wasn't even a Christian, but even they knew that it's not reality, and it doesn't account for reality. It does not change us in the long run, in the long term. See, we learn in the Bible that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, uh, and we're in bondage to our broken self. And God leads us, His instruction leads us to, and it begins with the idea we're broken, desperate, needy. And if you're honest with it, not honest with that fact, and here's the thing, if you're not honest with the fact of how broken you really are, you will never be open to God's grace and mercy. Right? Because think of this. We can always say, if you can do this by yourself, then why do you need Jesus? If you can really do it by yourself, then why do you need God in your life? What did Jesus come to do if he didn't come to rescue you? Uh, the Bible is clear about that. But it not only affects us as individuals, but it's going to affect our whole congregation when we really see the changes that it makes, which brings us to the second point in the bulletin. Uh, I mean, second quote in the bulletin. Uh, look at that by John Piper. See, it's going to change the way you not only view yourself and God, it's going to change the way you act to other people. And this right here, this quote, is why so many people quit the church. Look at this right here. It says, no Christian settles for living in defeat. We don't want to live in defeat, right? But if we are defeated for a time, we shouldn't lie about it. No hypocrisy, no posing, no boasted perfectionism, no churchy, pasted smiles or chipper superficiality. See, this is where hypocrisy, this is why the church, 99% of the time, is called a hypocrite. Because we're not honest about how broken we are and we, we act like that we as a, as, a, as a people we act like we can do it on our own and then when we don't when people see that we're not doing it all right they immediately call us Pharisees and they should see left alone we can't be the people that we want to be let alone the people that we are made to be uh, so the people outside our church especially one another let's not pretend that we have it all together let's do claim to, to, to the gospel, meaning that we can let others know our pain and our suffering and our struggles 
without going into despair and without them thinking that we are just the worst trash bags that you've ever seen. Because we're not claiming that. We're claiming that we're all broken by the, and all saved by the grace of God. Let me end with this kind of idea here. Growing up, I found myself in a lot of precarious situations. Uh, most of them were my own doing. Uh, of, of the three boys, I was the troublemaker. I know I find, you find it hard to believe. Uh, but I was the troublemaker. I was definitely an instigator. I don't know if there's a difference. But, uh, but any time I blew it, or any time I got into deep trouble, I was always in this dilemma. Do I call my dad to help me or do I not? People have said this before. See, religion says this. I messed up. My dad is going to kill me. Religion, I mean, relationship says, I messed up. I got to call my dad. See, one says, I got to figure this out on my own, and I'm living like an orphan. The other one says, I've got a dad that understands, and I got a relationship with him, uh, and I'm going to make the most of that. This is why we say Christianity is different than any other mindset in the world, because it talks about our need and it answers that question in a way that gives of making a really good change, uh, changes in our life. Jesus is clear, he, he shows this, that, that he's not interested in making us religion. God's not interested in making you religious. He's just not. Think of Jesus, he was hated by the religious people. Um, why? Because he was constantly telling them and even showing them that religion wasn't the answer and all the good stuff they did wasn't enough. Only a relationship with God could really, really save them. And Jesus God, he entered the world, our world, and he came to meet us where we are, and through him the work is done. So in the end, here's what we're, we're faced with. The only way that true change is going to happen in our life is by realizing more and more how broken, dark, and messed up we really are and are coming to terms with what God, love, grace, and mercy has to offer us. And then we're going to find ourselves trusting ourselves and relying on ourselves less and relying on God more. And you never get past that as a Christian. You're going to be on this journey the rest of your life to work this all in your soul again and again. Aren't you tired of feeling like it's all up to you? Or that no matter how many good things you do, you feel like you're back in the same place all the time? Uh, that, that you have to just do it on your own every time you wake up in the morning and it's just up to you or people around you to get it done. See, this is not a one-time decision to trust God. This is a process that continues throughout our lives on a daily basis. We're to run to the cross every day. We're to wake up every morning and rest in the work that Jesus did on our behalf and not rely on our own efforts. We're to even repent of relying on our own efforts Let's think about that as we enter a time of communion today to celebrate what Jesus has done on our behalf and let it lead, instead of leaving it up to us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you uh, for uh, the simplicity of the message of the Bible that just says we can't do it. We're sinners. Uh, we're broken and that your grace is more than we ever imagined and could hope for. Uh, help us to work that down in our hearts. Help us to avoid self-pride, self-righteousness um, and Lord, remind us that this is not a doorway that we walk through it's a process of more and more relying on your mercy and grace what you did through Jesus and not trusting ourselves near to the degree that we do now break us of that, help us see your 
seeing a, a bigger vision of what your son has done in our life and in our world. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> today's sermon. We want to remind our listeners that our doors are always open at Chelsea Presbyterian Church, and we invite all our listeners to join us for worship. You can visit us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at Chelsea Middle School. To hear more of our sermons from our church or for more information, you can find us online at www.chelseapres.org or check us out on Facebook.